Hello and welcome to another episode of Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games, certainly our favourites. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined as always by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Pick a lily, it's just vegetables in various proportions. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booze. Certainly some of our favourites. And we're discussing our all-time top 100 video games. Yeah boy. This week we have our number 53s. But before we do that... It is time to dive back into the quiz. Ooh. Right, Minty, put your phone down. Sorry. You're four points behind now, Minty, I'm, so I'm take this seriously. I'm losing by quite a serious margin now. What fictional continent is the Bethesda Softworks RPG series The Elder Scrolls Tamriel. Oh, straight in there with the correct answer. Oh, you said continent? Yes. I thought you said consonant. <laughs> I did not say that. Oh. <laughs> B. What is that? <laughs> why would they make a, a new letter? And why would I know what it is? Oh, oh dear. The score is now 25-20 to crush. Oh, oh. That, is, that is tasty, isn't it? What have we been playing this week? Minty. Oh, you know me. Dragon Quest? <laughs> no. Oh. <laughs> I've been playing Dragon Merge. Mm. Still. How are your dragons merging, if you don't mind me asking? I I don't know if we talked about this last week or perhaps even two weeks ago, but it's, it's, it's a weird game. It is, yeah. Because it has that sort of, not, not quite a story mode, but it's sort of stage-based um, yes. levels. But you can only have um, like seven bits of energy at a time or chalices. And some of them take three or four or five or six. So it's just like, what's the point? I usually sort of log in to play the game twice a day. Like once in the morning, once in bed at night. And both times I will have had enough time to save up seven, which is the maximum amount of chalices you can sort of save up. And then I'll play a level or two. Hmm. and, And then just doss around my camp. Just merging my dragons. Merging my trees, merging my mushrooms, harvesting my moss-covered stones. Touching a bone. Touch. Oh, I love touching a bone. Oh, you love touching a bone. <laughs> Especially first thing in the morning. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah, I've been playing that and then also just chipping away at Pokemon Shield. I'm playing through it a second time so that we can trade so that you can have both of the box legendaries and I don't have to do without. Exactly, yes. I'm also playing through Pokemon Sword again under a different profile so that I can complete it, get the sword legendarization, trade it for a Zamazenta, trade that one into my original Pokemon sword so I can then continue my streak of having one of every single type of Pokemon in my overall Pokemon home. I, I'm still genuinely impressed with uh, your cultivated collection that has taken how many years now? What, what is the first game you can trade into it from? Um, I think think it was ruby and sapphire because because technically now you you can use the 3ds ports of the originals can't you oh you can do that as well yeah but originally you couldn't no so it wasn't until the game Boy advanced ones that that started yeah and you could slowly start accruing them yeah yeah and and i do now have a full complete pokedex in pokemon sword thanks to minty trading me, me the pokemon shield exclusives or the, the rest of them that i didn't have so that's quite nice to have a, a full uh, full catalog in addition to that, unfortunately, I've been quite unwell this last week, and I spent a couple of days in bed, and during that time, I played through the indie game on the Nintendo eShop uh, called The Tourist. Ooh. Yeah. I've, heard, I've heard good stuff. It certainly piqued my interest with the art style. It's got this beautiful 
pixel art that's presented in a similar sort of tilt shift uh, way that games like Octopath Traveler and the recent uh, Link's Awakening ports do. Yeah. And it just looks <clears throat> looks lovely. You don't see many indie games with pixel art. <laughs> oh, Minty. You wry fucker. <laughs> indie game developers love pixel art. Yeah. But I didn't really know much about the game until I, 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 I saw a little report on Nintendo Life saying about how the game was like a technical marvel, how it kind of ran at 60 frames per second in this beautiful kind of presented art style without any kind of hint of a frame drop loading times were just like a fraction of a second and i was like i just yeah it looks lovely it looks nice it's meant to be great i'll give it a go and i had a fantastic time i, I, I mean i played through the whole thing in a in a day i think it's about eight eight hours eight nine hours maybe you don't you don't do any of this stuff by half do you well yeah well they don't call me jonathan a little bit done do they <laughs> 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 But the, the game itself is essentially a sandbox game with some puzzles and some adventure exploring-y stuff. You basically are a little chap who arrives at his holiday destination island. You're told about some ruins. You go and have a little look. You oh, find a, some ruins. Oh, yeah, some ruins. Ruins. And there's a puzzle to solve. You get inside. You find out that there's other monuments hidden on other islands. And you make your way from island to island and see what's going on on each of these. Chat to the people. Loads of little mini games, little side quests. And it's just, yeah, it's just really satisfying to play. It was just really nice. I mean, it was a very simple game in a way. But yeah, I had no problem just playing through it to 100% it. I have no problem playing a game. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. don't, don't, don't test me on this. Chris, what have you been playing this week? Last night, I just finished uh, an indie game called Gris. Ah, with a silent S. Yeah, because it is, it's Spanish for grey, because uh, it's a Spanish development ah. team. Yeah. But it's a really, really lovely artsy puzzle platformer. And I, I sort of wanted to play it for a while. It's one of those ones that's kind of just been in the back of my mind for a bit but it's it's really spectacular easily one of the most like beautiful games visually and sonically that I've, I've played in a long long time lovely and the the art in particular is is absolutely stunning like it's kind of it's a hand-drawn style but all the textures of the world are sort of filled with lush watercolor washes or inky spills and and other kind of abstract color work that's, that's all been rendered by hand and then digitized by the by the art team but it's just a really really standout style and it uses that to tell a really nice story about kind of personal development and and belief in oneself and that kind of thing and it's all mm. it's it's really nicely done and and i mean when if you remember when you talked about celeste yeah you know since then i've played a couple of chapters of it i'm not that far through it but i think gree even though it doesn't have any dialogue there's there's some parallels in how madeline in celeste is kind of battling with self-doubt and, and her own kind of inner turmoil and things like that and how the lead character in gree goes from at the very start of the game you're like a slumped figure who the only ability you have is just to collapse on the floor in, in kind of like total resignation. As the game sort of builds up, you become more able, you become more sprightly. And I think it's just great that more games are tackling sort of difficult, and in some cases like this, almost like existential narratives, yeah. but, but doing so in ways that, that fit around it being a video game. And we've mentioned it for, for a few games in the past, like about how to choose to make something as an interactive experience is very different to choose to make something as a film or a book or any other kind of medium. And I think Greed does a really good job at using its gameplay to tell the bulk of its story. Like outside of a few little cutscenes, like little kind of non-spoken dialogue cutscenes, there's no big dumps of text. There's no kind of massive exposition. It's just about the experience of what you you play through. 
And it's, it's just really nice to see that we're at a stage where developers are starting to use interactive media by choice to tell stories. Because for a long while, it felt like people who couldn't make it in other mediums would end up in games and kind of just put out something a bit half-assed. So it's, it's just it's great to see that there's, there's you know, the space for this stuff to exist now. I'd recommend everyone to play it. It's it's really well designed and it's very very accessible. So even though there's kind of there's moments of challenge because it is like a puzzle platformer, like I said, so there's some bits that are a little bit tricky, but there's nothing that's going to have you like smashing your controller, nothing that's going to get you like really annoyed. And the way the stages are designed as well, it's it's really really clever that it feels very open despite having a sort of hard coded linearity to it. Yeah. So you're never going to get lost or stuck for where to go next, but it's designed in a way that feels like you you could get lost. And it's really clever how it uses, again, like the art itself and, and the visual style of it all to suggest that there's these pathways and platforms in the distance, even though it's kind of very clear where you're supposed to be going and what you're supposed to be doing. It's just, it's, it's a very, very clever game and it's not that long. So I, I kind of beat it over the course of a couple of evenings, so probably like three, four hours in total. But yeah, really, really highly recommended. Very, very good. Nice. I'll have to check that out. It's been on my list for a, a long, long time to, yeah. to have a look at. Should we move on to the Ian rankings? Yes, please. Uh. <laughs> Starting this week, we have Chris's game. Can you please tell us, Mr. Dow, what your 53rd favourite video game of all time is, please, sir? A few weeks back when I talked about Time Crisis 2, I mentioned that there was like this holy tetralogy of games that I got alongside my, my PlayStation 2 with my brother that Christmas. Sure. And today, this is the second of those titles. It's the second that we received at that time. Uh. It is the, the open world game that would largely define the genre Grand Theft Auto 3 ah. and it is a, a very important game as, as I'll kind of go on to talk about I'm sure but when we made these lists with a few exceptions I tried to avoid including multiple entries from the same gaming series as, as much as possible to try and I don't know just have a bit more variety I suppose in what I was choosing and as such like GTA 3 is, is the only representative from Rockstar's crime up series that made the cut and I, I think although the groundwork for the franchise was set in like the top-down games gta 1 and 2 and then it was probably bettered like unarguably in in vice city san andreas gta 4 gta 5 any of the side story games like it became a much bigger franchise after this gta 3 is really important because at that time in 2001 where we got that console it felt like I'd pick up the controller and I genuinely believed I could do anything in, in the world it was presenting in front of me. And it's the first time I kind of remember thinking back that games felt so, so expansive. It felt like the options were basically limitless to, to what you could do in this city. So, you you know, you take a car, you, you steal any car, you cruise around what feels like miles and miles of city roads. You can choose between different radio stations that all have like a different mixture of spoken skits and bespoke parody adverts and real world music tracks and, and all this other stuff. You're doing the bidding of kind of non-player characters that are voiced by real actors like Frank Vincent and Joe Pantoliano and Michael Madsen and Carl McLaughlin, like real names that put their, put their voices to this game. You're, you're picking individual side missions like driving taxis or fire trucks or delivering stolen vehicles to an export yard you're, you're outrunning police you're, you're blowing up traffic for no reason in, in traffic jams with rocket launchers you're punching pedestrians you're, you're flying a biplane uh, you know there's, there's all sorts of weird things you can do and that includes the classic sort of daily mail bait picking up a digital hooker in your car clubbing her over the head with a bat to reimburse yourself after a CD <laughs> transaction the, the amount of things that it felt were in GTA 3 was just like unfathomable to me as a kid and it, like I'm not hyperbolizing it, it was like it felt like the most exciting thing I'd ever seen in my life when I was that age <laughs> like to be kind of a young teenager and, and to be playing something that was like the peak of, of interactive media at the time I, I just couldn't believe it existed 
Like it, it was a game that felt open. It felt naughty. It felt violent. It, it was like an adult experience for me at the time. Like obviously I was probably what, 14 then. So as such, I assume my parents should both be arrested for allowing me to play this sort of gratuitous smut. Yeah, absolutely. But I'm, I'm really glad like at the time that I was able to take part in, in that sort of cultural zeitgeist because it was a game that consumed almost every conversation in the playground for the next few years. And that would go right up until kind of, I think San Andreas came out when I was maybe 17 or 18. So that was like the whole of my sort of teenage years. Grand Theft Auto was just this franchise in the background. It's such a packed experience as well that, that playing GTA 3 at the time, when I did then get on to play at sequels later, I, I wasn't shocked anymore when I found out that there were all these new things added. Like it, it didn't seem a surprise anymore that I could buy property or furnish an apartment or organize heists or, or do street races or go base jumping or eat chicken and get fat. It's like all, all these things were added over time, <laughs> but it never had the same punch as picking up GTA 3 because GTA 3 was just so different from everything that had come before it. Yeah, And, and it's why I picked like GTA 3 rather than its successors because it's not as good a game as these other ones, but I don't think any game could ever like conjure the same feeling three had because it set the bar so unreasonably high for a console game in, in 2001. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like playing, playing GTA three. It's, it's a game that in hindsight, it's about the franchise expanding because it was the first time it was in 3d and it was, you know, this, this open world format, but it's also compared to certainly what would come after it, a game that's relatively restrained and what I quite like then is that compared to its sequels and compared to sort of the current gen bloat of open world games like, for instance, Assassin's Creed or anything else, it's it's something that felt like you could actually finish it. <laughs> like like we've, we've talked before about open world and sort of this malaise with just the size of games now, like AAA games. Yeah. But back then, GTA 3 felt like 100% was something that was still doable. Even like, you know, you obviously have a lot more time as a teenager than I do now. But by comparison, even even when it got to Vice City a few years later... It had a larger map, it had a longer story. There was more expansive kind of post-game activities to do. And at that stage, even a couple of years on, still being a teenager, still being at school with no real responsibility outside of education, 100% no longer really felt achievable unless I was just going to ignore all my other interests and hobbies and, and social commitments. Yeah. So like, if looking at a game now, if you consider something like GTA V or, or your favourite game, Jonathan, Red Dead 2, <laughs> you know, they've got these intertwining character stories. They've got these hugely expansive maps. They both now have endlessly expanding online live services. And they're games that are just, they're too daunting for me to even consider starting playing. Yeah. And, and looking back, like 3 is this high watermark that felt like the right balance between just ridiculous possibility, but also obvious limitation, that it was, it was on a platform that couldn't do these things that we, we can now. And it meant that they had to kind of just rein in certain parts of their design, which I think really helps it as, as a game series. As I alluded to earlier, like GTA 3 as well, it's, it's the definition of a sort of playground game by way of it being something that would generate hundreds of apocryphal tales amongst other people. And you'd have, like, I remember talking to people at school, like the car or weapon someone purportedly found that no one else could locate, or someone saying that you could fly the aforementioned biplane to a mysterious fourth island that... that didn't exist but you know, <laughs> people believed it at the time someone saying there was a hidden passageway through an otherwise blocked tunnel like cut missions that could apparently be accessed with cheat codes mysterious npcs that were kind of referenced in in the credits but never seen in the game so they've got to be there somewhere <laughs> uh, and all this sort of stuff and i mean a lot of the time these stories were rooted in just half truths maybe like something had kind of you know created that that idea other times they were just outright lies but regardless of the origin of it they were always bolstered by the game just having this huge inherent potential and when people told these stories it was like well why couldn't that be true like like thinking what i've done in this game so far why, why wouldn't that exist 
and and I loved that it's a game that had like its own mythos around it because no one really knew where the the end point was of of how much could be crammed into this disc because it was so different to what we'd played before. Yeah. And I just, I really like that it's a game that breeds stories because of that. It's a very free form approach to to kind of moment by moment storytelling. And although it had a core narrative, it's the only 3D GTA that has a silent protagonist, Minty's favourite, who who would rise up a crime ladder after escaping incarceration. But so much of what makes the best open worlds and specifically kind of GTA 3 really good is how they frame the player as being the front and centre of the world. And and it's your choice as an agency that define how the narrative of play sort of appears to unfold. So you can follow this these missions, you can cause chaos, or you can play it completely differently and say, I'm, I'm going to obey the stop signs, I'm going to follow the speed limits and just drive very cautiously. And, and you felt like you were kind of directing your own way through this game. And again, I, I don't remember having many games before that where I put on just to fuck about. You play it as you, as you feel comfortable playing it. So sometimes you would beat missions and feel great and you'd cruise back to your save point and feel like you've made actual progress. But other times, like I say, I'd just turn it on, put on all the cheats and then just blow stuff up for hours at a time. And <laughs> yeah. it didn't feel like that was any any less important or you know a less worthwhile use of my time because it was just a couple hours of an evening where I was howling with laughter at something that, again, I'd then go in the next day, tell these stories about how I made all this mess. And it was just something everyone kind of shared at the time. And I think it's one of the most important games ever made for its impact on on the wider industry because GTA is still this absolute behemoth. Like I, I think GTA Five now has sold more units individually than any other media property of all time. That's across like film and all other media. Like it's it's in a ridiculous number of hands. So it's got this tremendous lineage in terms of games, but it's also individually like a cultural touchstone that almost everyone knows by name. It's another one of those games, like I said, like Tetris before. Parents know what GTA is and grandparents of a certain age will know that GTA is a thing, if only by way of kind of tabloid outrage, but it, it exists and it's out there and it's it's a name that is now synonymous with games for, for better or worse. But above everything else, it's just, it's a proper sandbox and it forefronts the player's experience over absolutely everything else. And it's kind of, it's the GTA I think of when, whenever the franchise is brought up. So it's kind of like the, the definite article GTA. It's, it's the one that when someone mentions that as a, as a game franchise, I, I immediately am taken back to, to being that age at that Christmas, booting it up on the PlayStation 2 and just thinking, this is, this is what games can be at this time. I, I really, really love it. It's, it's one I've not played for a while. It's really easy to get hold of now in like mobile ports. And uh, I think it's on, on the PS4 as like a, a PS2 kind of up res as it were. So it is easily accessible, but it's very, very good. And I, I think everyone should at least give it a go if you've never played it, especially for younger people that, that maybe kind of uh, it passed you by and you've now lived in this vacuous existence where GTA 5 and its endless online mode is all that exists. So uh, yeah, GTA 3, it's a good game. Never played it. Have you not? No. Have you, have you played any of the GTAs? <laughs> the only GTA game I've ever put any actual time into was the port on the Game Boy Color <laughs> of the first one, oh. which oh, it's was so bad, <laughs> quite oh. bad. Although at the time, yeah, it was. Uh, I, I loved it. I mean, I bought that port as well. Yeah, you couldn't really get through a playthrough without it crashing. No, know? it was awful. There were barely any cars. Yeah, like really poor. I mean, just literally on the map, like you'd be driving for <laughs> hours and not see anyone else. It was just. Yeah, bare bones. But again, um, it, it was of that time, like, obviously, I, re- I remember when we were playing that, probably, what, we were 13, maybe, that sort of age. Yeah. And it's you don't have enough money to say, like, well, this is bad, so I'll just buy another game. Yeah, exactly. Stuck with it. Yeah, a couple of months where you just say, 
well, I'm going to play it and I'm going to enjoy it. <laughs> exactly. It's like when I got Carmageddon on the Game Boy Color as well. I, 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 that's worse than um, GTA, I yeah, think, it is. as a port. Yeah, it's dreadful. <laughs> Played it for a whole Christmas, though, so um, didn't uh, have anything else to do. <laughs> as, Minty, did you have GTA 3? No, no, I've never played GTA at all. <laughs> well, I, I honestly thought this would be one where everyone's like, well, I didn't own it, but I, I played a good chunk of it with this friend or something like that. But apparently I, I'm Mr. Mainstream. <laughs> I, yeah. I played it on my own. I didn't have a PS2. Yeah. And I mean, I know that it was actually planned to come out on the GameCube at one point, but then it was cancelled. Yeah. As I say, it's it's very easy to get hold of now. So I would implore, especially you, Jonathan, with the PS4, it will probably be on sale over Christmas. And for kind of the three, four pounds it will turn up for. I think it's absolutely playing just for an hour or two just to kind of take yourself back to that time because it is it's like the the beginning sort of uh point of basically all open world games now before the the bloat ruins it as a as a genre well there we have it stealing on no it doesn't work uh <laughs> stealing forwards looting forwards thank you for that chris moving on we have my game hey <laughs> do you guys want to know what my 53rd favorite video game of all time is very much sure so, this game is the second entry in this classic series in my list, Ooh. but it is also a remake. Right. So, stay with me whilst I take you through my train of thought. When I was playing Pokemon Let's Go Pikachu, I remember thinking that that's kind of what I saw in my head when I was playing things like Pokemon Red and Blue as a kid. And, you know, I imagine that's kind of what the developers were seeing in their head when they were making the game. And I like to imagine that when Nintendo were making stuff like then Legend of Zelda on the uh, the NES, it probably looked in their heads a lot more like A Link to the Past or even maybe Breath of the Wild than, than it obviously did to the rest of us. <laughs> and, I mean, the same goes for the original Metroid game looking back at it with the benefit of all the games that have come since it it, it looks almost like a, a sort of a rough proof of concept for what the series would become yeah but metroid was such an important game as it laid down the groundwork and the codes and conventions of i mean not only its own series but of so many other games mostly indie games with pixel art as well i mean it seems like there's a new metroidvania game coming out on the eShop every week so it was why it was such a wonderful thing for Nintendo to revisit Samus's original adventure in the Game Boy Advance's Metroid Zero Mission, which is my 53rd favourite video game. Ooh, ah. double Metroid. Double Metroid, so far. <laughs> so far. I, I would imagine there's going to be more. It's worth saying that because I didn't own an NES or a SNES, before Metroid Prime came out on the GameCube, I really wasn't massively aware of Metroid as a series. And certainly had no concept of just how groundbreaking and revolutionary, you know, the original Metroid and Super Metroid were. But then after Metroid Prime came out and it was really, really successful, it seemed like this sparked a bit of a Metroid renaissance. And now that sort of Nintendo had captured all of these new fans' attention, they started to crank out lots more Metroid titles. And it, and it was really, really great then to kind of get a window into the rest of the series and into its heritage, certainly its 2D roots. And certainly with this game, to really get a proper feeling for, you know, where the series started. I was always fascinated by images of the original Metroids, like the stark black backdrop, the sparse features. It looked like it would have a similar feeling of isolation and vulnerability exposure that a film like Alien did. Mm. And 
like Metro Fusion that me and Minty have both spoken about in previous episodes, the atmosphere that Metroid Zero Mission created was, I mean, tremendous. Whereas Metroid Fusion was quite linear, Metroid Zero Mission and the original Metroid were like properly open world and you felt lost and alone. And like what Fusion did, having these awe-inspiring feelings whilst playing on a low-resolution handheld machine is, I mean, it's really an impressive feat on like the part of the developers. And this open world design, I think, was the key to why I enjoyed this game more than I did Metroid Fusion, even though I had a fantastic time with Metroid Fusion. And whilst that was, you know, I mean, a genuinely thrilling sci-fi action-adventure, Zero Mission showed me properly what the Metroid series was all about, with the exploration, adventure, discovery, and totally nonsensical physics-defying movement. I mean, for a start, how does the morph ball work? <laughs> he rolls up into a ball. <laughs> you know, I'd never thought of it like that. <laughs> yeah. But, but now that you've said it... Samus is just really, really good at roly-polies. Yeah. In addition to just the morph ball, uh, there were, I mean, all kinds of mad gravity-defying things that you could do just in terms of double jumping and jumping in, again in the air and grabbing and swinging and, and there were also morph ball cannons hidden around the map which would like blast you through the walls and ceilings to discover secret areas but the one ability that was i mean really key to just enjoying running around and exploring was it was like a speed boosting ability i can't remember what its actual name was but this would allow you to sort of charge a movement boost and then blast through areas at extreme speed. And you could also do this whilst you were in morph ball form. And there were particular blocks that could only be broken through whilst traveling at this speed. You might like be going through an area and be firing some shots around and those would kind of uncover some of these special like speed breakable blocks hidden in the environment. And then all of a sudden your brain would be like, right, how can I build up speed in order to get to this bit, to break through those blocks, to get to whatever's behind that? Because at the moment, it seems impossible. There's nowhere to sort of get enough of a run-up. There's nowhere to charge it. How on earth could I possibly do this? We spoke about this sort of game design in Mario Odyssey, and I mentioned a bit of it with um, Ori and the Blind Forest. And this game really nails that balance between using your head and using your skill to find all of the upgrades the game has to offer. Mm. And like with those other games, it's so satisfying when you go, oh, hang on a minute, actually. I reckon if I started running from this room and then I jumped, continued the movement here, managed to keep hold of the movement boost to get through that bit, drop down here into a morph ball, into there, through that bit, and then you unlock something new. And... It was just great fun. And just having those little, little hints that those things were possible then allows the the player to, to, to you know, create the rest of that sensation. And it's just very, very clever game design. Now, the Metroid series is one that is steeped in mystery and lore. And, I mean, reading up on it, I think this game actually gives you more of Samus's backstory than any other Metroid game. Although I haven't actually played Federation Force, so it's possible that there's some character development in there. It is, maybe? It is brimming. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Noted, saturated with Metroid Law Federation Force! <laughs> 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 that, that game is, is really bad I never played it I got it for like a fiver brand new like that's how much it bombs like within a couple of months it was down to a Jeez. fiver it controls so badly on the 3DS really? and, and that's whether you're using 
a, a new 3DS with a, with a second nubbin analog stick or the old one without. Like, it, it's just, it's horrible on both. Did it control better or worse than Metroid Prime Hunters on worse, the DS? Worse, significantly worse. What? How, how, what, how? I, I, had, I, I actually had a great time in Metroid Prime Hunters. I, I didn't mind Hunters at all. You put the work in to, yeah. to actually have a good time with it yeah. and uh, you were rewarded. It's mm. the same as I played Super Mario 64 DS using that thumb nubbin on the touchscreen the entire time to 100%. It was just, the thing is here and I'm going to make use of it. Uh, and I, I think Hunters was like that. It was just like, yeah. this is tech that shouldn't exist in a handheld. Yeah. So I'm just going to fucking push myself to get through this. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Anyway, it's clear from Zero Mission that Nintendo really enjoyed using that game to kind of tie the links between all the other games in the series in a more concrete way with... I mean, like direct callbacks to Super Metroid particularly, and obviously setting up a whole bunch of storylines that would be delivered on in Federation Force. (laughs) (laughs) The the payoff when you get to the end is just unreal. (laughs) So worth it. So worth it. (laughs) But the the, the sort of main storyline that's in Zero Mission is sort of focused around Samus's self-discovery on this planet and learning about her origins and where she came from and that I mean that really really actually comes to the fore in the post-game content although when I played the game I did not know that it was post-game content because I didn't realize that in the original Metroid game defeating Mother Brain was the end of the game so I imagine that fans of the original when they were playing Zero Mission they must have had their minds absolutely blown when Samus' ship is flying away from the planet as you're rubbing your hands together basking in the glow of success and then space pirates shoot you down you crash land back onto the planet for a whole other few hours of game because Samus has I mean she's like properly kicked back in her shuttle she's taken her suit off to air out her sweaty pits and like <laughs> pop her feet up with a nice cup of tea it means that when you crash land you're, you're totally without a suit and this is where zero suit samus uh, originated who's a form of the character we've seen in super smash brothers going forward Ooh. and uh, you're, you're stripped to your baby blue undersuit with only your trusty pistol for company as you now try and figure out a way off this planet that is overrun with pirates uh, well, worse than that, space pirates or pirates, oh, no. if you will. <laughs> and the game then turns into like a full-on survival horror game with stealth mechanics at the core, rather than you know action. And you've got to creep through all of these space pirate-inhabited facilities, avoiding them at all costs. Because like your pistol, you can't even kill them. You can only stun them to freeze them for like a couple of seconds. So you can't even like stay and fight, try and like blast your way through. You, you just have to run and hide. And this is actually quite reminiscent of the really brilliant SAX encounters in Metro oh, Fusion. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know Minty spoke about particularly mm-hmm. being very... Uh, very Chilling. Chilling. It's also the point of the game where the difficulty ramps up massively because of this, but you are rewarded a hundredfold when you finally reach your goal. And I mean, in doing so, it's also the pivotal point of the story where Samus kind of learns of her her birth on the planet and her early kind of upbringing with the Chozo. And you just get this incredible payoff. Now, uh, throughout the game, in addition to finding the sort of standard upgrades for your suit and secret unlockables, such as health upgrades, missile upgrades, 
you also stumble across a handful of items that are just simply called unknown item and initially when i i found these i was absolutely livid i mean you navigate your way through an incredibly tough area you find a familiar looking chamber that usually bears an essential upgrade that will make the return journey a lot easier but instead you're fobbed off with a seemingly useless bit of junk but when you reach this point in the post game and the spirits of the Chozo reveal to you your true origin, they not only restore your suit to its former glory around you, but then they also decode this handful of unknown items that add about half a dozen incredible new abilities to you as well, allowing you to jump indefinitely in the air and shoot through walls, which are upgrades that you did end up unlocking in the endgame of Super Metroid. So it means that you've just gone from being totally devoid of any armour any weapons and any abilities to suddenly being pimped out to the absolute max and then you get to fight your way back through all of those areas that you've just had to cautiously creep through and just blow those space pirates to bits and it feels so incredible it is so satisfying then you get to the final final boss which is an absolute piece of piss which um was a real shame but uh, after the credits roll, there's a beautiful little denouement to the story that I mean, it genuinely left me with a tear in my eye. Just a fucking great adventure. Really, really good. And then uh, you unlock the original Metroid to play if you really wanted, which, I mean, just totally cements its place as the original game's true, not just successor, but just as a replacement. I mean, there's no reason to go and play the original anymore. I mean, play this and, and then play that if, if, if you like it, because it's on that same cartridge. And then, you know, just but play this. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. Good. It's another one I want to play that I haven't. When, when you talk about Metroid Fusion... It's the same as when you get excited about Pokemon. The thing I really enjoy doing this podcast for and just talking about games with you two in general is anytime you're really passionate about something that I have not played or I don't know that much about, my immediate response is that I want to go and play it straight afterwards. Awesome. And and it's, who knows why I ever get to this stuff. Like the, the list of things I'm supposed to play <laughs> is is like as long as all of my arms combined and legs. and All of them? Yeah, all, all six of my arms, all four of my legs and any other appendages I might want to attack on the end. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> but it, it's, it's just really nice to hear how good these games are. Uh, and I mean, the, the whole point of this list is is that we're celebrating the stuff that we really enjoy for whatever reason. Yeah. But when it's something I, I don't know that much about, when it's something like Metroid that both of you have played quite a chunk of and I and I haven't, it just makes me want to catch up. So yeah, well done. Oh, good. You've, you've sold someone on at least, at least thinking that I could one day play it after I beat Federation Force. <laughs> <laughs> but make sure you do that first so you can tell us, uh, tell us all about that rich and succulent lore. Obviously. Moving on, finally, but not li- last, least, Minty, can you please tell us about your 53rd favourite video game? Well, I could, but you might as well just replay what Chris said. No. No. So listening to Chris talk about GTA 3 has been really great and has given me so little to talk about my entry this week because I played it in incredibly similar circumstances. My sister and I received a console for Christmas, and this was the game that came with it, and I played it a lot. (laughs) It was a groundbreaking game, this game that I played. Maybe not to the degree that GTA was for sandbox gaming and like the sheer scale of it, but it was in nearly every other regard 
So coming into this game, I'd replayed nearly every one of its predecessors multiple times. And I was very, very good at completing them very, very quickly. I played this for a good few hours on Christmas Day, and I was convinced that I'd nearly completed it after doing about maybe 6% off the game <laughs> and getting to the first boss. Visually, it was just enormous. It was the first 3D game I ever played, so it wasn't limited by what was coming on the uh, on the other side of the right-hand side of the screen. I could just sort of turn the camera to see, oh, there's the next platform, or there's the next uh, enemy that I need to defeat, instead of just being like, let's move forward and just do it on the fly. The jump from 2D to 3D was a profoundly freeing experience, I thought, and one of the purest instances of uh, an un unadulterated feeling of newness that I've ever had playing a video game. So thank you, Nintendo, for making Super Mario 64 good. Ah. Oh, boy. And thanks for making it just well enough that it's still good to play, but it's just broken enough to enjoy watching speedruns of it. <laughs> Yeah. It's it's an astounding game. Oh yeah. I <laughs> don't say it. <laughs> don't say never it. played it. Did you not? No, but I did play some Mario sixty four DS. Yeah, yeah, you did. And I'll talk that talk about that another day. What's your favourite stage, Minty? What's your favourite stage? Okay, I've got two for different reasons. The first one, Bob on Battlefield, is the perfect first level in any video game. Yeah. It sort of sets out exactly what this game is about. You go in and it's just, wow, it looks great. There's the big mountain in the distance that you have to climb. There's that floating island. You can't get there at the moment, so maybe you'll be able to with a different power-up. So it hints at that uh, at that development but my favorite level is hazy maze cave oh that's that's ah. controversial it was just the mystery of it the intrigue it was it was like it, it was a maze it was dark it was strange all the corridors were very narrow so you didn't really know where you were but if you sort of bumbled around for long enough you'd go into the underground lagoon where the plesiosaur was <laughs> yeah, that was there. Of course. Yeah, all the one-way passages that you couldn't get to from like the big central area. It's like, oh, well, how am I going to get there? I'm never going to be able to find this because this is such a this is such a complicated maze. But I did, and when I did, oh boy, was I smug. <laughs> <laughs> what was your favourite area, Chris? Um, I think um, dry, dry docks is is a classic. But because of the um, the music, more than anything else. It's one of my favourite pieces of like atmospheric game music. Yeah. yeah. And I think it stands up alongside... What's the one in um, Donkey Kong Country that you've mentioned before? Aquatic Ambience? Yes. Yeah, it has a really similar feel. And, yeah. and it somehow it sounds like it's underwater. Mm, yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's got kind of like a, like a shimmering quality to it. Um, and I, like it's not in particular like certain parts of that stage in terms of the layout of it like I remember the big the big eel coming out the wall and, and stuff like that being like oh, yeah. notable kind of events that Mario 64 I suppose was one of the first games to have like set piece events in that way mm. because it was a, a 3D world and, and it didn't they don't really work the same in 2D games so it's, it's impressive for that but yeah the music is the thing that really really sells it for me I'm sorry that you brought up the eel because I hate the eel <laughs> and I hate eels in general. Yeah. And if I'd remembered and not sort of blocked it out, it probably would have been a lot lower on my list. <laughs> Didn't even make the top 100. <laughs> Lovely game, but awful eel. Yuck. Uh, well, my thanks for asking. My favourite level is... Um... <laughs> <laughs> My favourite level was, um, uh, I, I love TikTok Clock. 
Oh. Ah. I thought everyone hated that. Yeah, well, it's probably because I played it in Super Mario 64 DS, yeah. where it was probably a bit kinder on well, everything, I think. Yeah, I can't remember if in the DS one if they changed the checkpointing or anything on that level. Because the, the main issue a lot of people have with it is that you, you climb the whole tower to get a star and it takes forever and then you go back and do the same thing again it's, it's kind of it's, it's a very um, like repetitive level compared to some of the earlier ones where it feels like you are approaching them in a different way okay I don't know the comparison but I will certainly research it before I come to talk about this game myself which I will do spoilers so there we have it another three games first of all we had Grand Theft Auto 3 then we had Metroid Zero Mission before finally the 64th Mario game oh yeah oh <laughs> yes we did if you timed all of the games together you get precisely nothing yes if you've enjoyed this episode <laughs> or if indeed you've enjoyed any of our episodes please do subscribe like it share it on social media tell your friends why not download it put it on a cd if you want to reach out to us you can do that you can find us on facebook if you search for our three cents and you can ask us questions that you might like us to answer in a future episode or you can chat to us about these games tell us what you love tell us what you don't love oh yeah tell us what your least favorite eel based game is <laughs> or you can reach out to us individually you can find me on twitter at jonathan dunn you can find me at Chaz underscore hodges i am clement underscore boo and please do join us next week for our 52s. I've never seen Mario naked. <laughs>